welcome back to the Barks Out of the Moon podcast. Okay, so today uh-huh. we are here to talk about resource guarding and the prevention of resource guarding. Um, yes, because we're still on our puppies. We are. Yeah, Here yeah. yeah. Um, and then talk a little bit later about uh, handling comfort as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. two can often be uh, linked. And yeah, like they're that. related, I would have said, in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah. so like... When, when we say resource guarding, obviously we, we know what what it is and people, uh, most people know what it is, but maybe they don't, they've never heard that, that okay. term. So um, sure. what is resource guarding? So it's sometimes called food aggression or possession aggression mm. or, you know, various things like that. And really what we're talking about is, is we're talking about some manifestation of normal dog behavior, right? Or normal animal behavior. There's no animal on the planet that goes, oh, here, I have some food here. Take it away from me. And, and it's totally fine with that because if animals did that, they would starve and die. Yeah. So this is adaptive behavior as in evolution will select for the for individuals who are able to keep a hold of resources or or, or, or achieve, you know, priority access to resources that's going to work for a lot of animals. So we're, we're taking on one hand that this is normal dog behavior. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we want to go, well, when is this going to actually be, you know, cause for concern, right? Yeah. So dogs where the normal level of management to maintain everybody's safety isn't sufficient to maintain safety. Those those are the situations in which we're talking about, mm. you know, being concerning. And because we're talking about puppies, we will often see a lot of sort of the typical guarding behaviours in puppies in relation to uh, access to possessions, particularly, you know, around weaning time when they have mm. access to, um, you know, food, like solid food, because they're, they're, they're just at a point where the mum's milk isn't, providing them with quite enough and then they're competing with all of their brothers and sisters so you know we'll often have some you know quite demonstrative behavior maybe what my people might call escalated behavior in young puppies soon after they've come home mm-hmm. you know that eight to ten weeks yeah. kind of time and um really if we put some proper management in place and management means that we prevent the dog being put in the situation in which the the unwanted behavior happens um you know we're we're often going to be okay down the line Mm -hmm. Uh, but sometimes we're not and sometimes it's a it's a bit more of a red flag so it can happen one way as often as it can happen the other way as well um so you know so in some puppies when I see it I'm going to say well we're just going to put normal management in place and that might just be well we're not going to go and approach puppy when they're eating from their bowl Mm. or when there's food in the bowl and those sorts of things and within a couple of weeks they've moved on to a new developmental stage Mm. and we're we're not having the same kind of escalated response and they've also maybe settled into their home a little bit more so the background level of stress has dropped a little bit more and they're less interested in trying to kind of gain control over over access to resources you know trying to claw back some kind of uh, relief from the stress of moving and and they don't have to compete maybe as much anymore uh, yeah. because they're not with their litter mates for example but at the same time i wouldn't just casually say oh yeah that's no problem that puppy's just going to go out of it because mm. that isn't the case either no. um as often as it is basically yeah. um so so that it can it's it's always going to be concerning behavior and generally the pattern is is that the more predictable 
the situation is. So if we know, for example, that this puppy guards food when there's food in the bowl Mm -hmm. and at other times couldn't be bothered about the bowl or the location where the bowl is, or if the bowl is up on a counter or, you know, they're not, they're not bothered. So that's, that's definitely going to be a more straightforward situation because we know under what conditions the behavior happens. But if we're dealing with a puppy who guards quite a range of um, items or situations and it's less predictable, Right. So Mm -hmm. I've worked with dogs where if you move items in the room, they'll guard those. Or if you have new items, just anything new, you bought a new sweeper brush, you know, anything doesn't have to be, you know, (laughs) an interesting item, Um, you know, that that they might guard that for a little while and, and, and that kind of thing. And then I've worked with a lot of dogs that kind of appear to guard space that, you know, there's kind of a bubble around them and, you know, no you know they're moving around and and that kind of thing and anything within that bubble then is is uh is 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 guardable apparently Mm -hmm. um and those are things so the the more predictable it is and the less generalized it is the more specific it is basically Mm -hmm. um the 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 more straightforward it's going to be and the safer because we know okay well if there's food in the bowl we're not going to do whatever it is that causes that dog to show the the guarding response yeah, yeah. and it's easier for the people the humans and the and the other dogs if it's directed towards the dogs um it's easier for everybody just to avoid that and not not have them rehearse it yeah yeah um so you said obviously that makes sense when they're younger and they've just moved to a new home and they're yeah. more insecure and that's might be why they're doing it but um in other cases then how like typically might it you know develop well i suppose there's a couple of different things first of all we 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 have to start by saying that you know it's in there in all of them i mean it's the same for us i mean we lock our houses we Mm -hmm. (laughs) put the alarms on our cars we don't want anybody taking the last bit of food off our plate so i mean we resource guard as well Mm -hmm. we might not call it that but we are absolutely doing lots of behaviors to prevent other uh, humans getting our stuff yeah. so we are also resource guarders and again we wouldn't think any of that is abnormal no. in you know in the in the usual contexts but if it got a little bit ott and we got a little bit more into it and we were building forts around every house and we were you know had all the ammunition and we were ready yeah. for war that might be taking it a step too far it might be a little bit too much and and certainly we might see that in dogs not in that exactly way, but but you know you might see bigger responses or they'll start to respond earlier and usually with resource guarding type behaviors um it's usually related to proximity. So how close the dog is to the item, Mm. how close you are to the dog, how close you are to the item, how close you and the dog and the item are Mm. to one another. So it's usually related to proximity. And in general, proximity is going to be our criteria where, you know, that's going to dictate whether whether the dog is going to respond in one way or the other. Mm. And the typical signs associated with resource guarding you know, often people will report growling or snarling. Yeah. And the thing about growling or snarly, snarling is, is that they're certainly very identifiable to us, yeah. to humans. So we get very worried about it. And we seem to have a tendency towards showing concern when dogs show those behaviours. Mm. Um, and that's a good idea. Um, you know, if uh, if this behaviour is related to proximity and the dog is growling, that usually means that you've got really, really close mm. and they really want you to back mm. off. And I think that's a good idea to do mm. that. Um, you know, and just say, yeah, that's fine. I don't really want that bowl of dogs. Yeah. Like you can have that that's totally <laughs> grand um, it's all for you um you know but um what we actually want to do is we want to start identifying what are the earliest warning signs that might tell us that this dog might show this behavior yeah. so we might be looking for you know even just the dog being near the thing yeah. might become the context where we go 
right. In this situation, this is likely, particularly if I move closer or move within a particular way or move, uh, this is likely to, to cause this dog to maybe start to freeze, start to use weight, show whale eye. So mm-hmm. whale eye happens, you know, it's half white moon sh- white of the eye and it happens because the dog's nose line and eye line are different mm-hmm. so they have their chin over the food bowl for example or their bone or whatever their treat mm-hmm. um but they're what they want to watch this perceived threat to possession yeah. approaching them so so they're trying to you know be very clear about saying this is my thing mm-hmm. and also at the same time watching them and you know and staring and, and kind of saying really don't you know you don't need to come any closer you've done enough now mm-hmm. um and that all of that you know that tension and stiffening and freezing mm-hmm. um and that might then kind of graduate to something that we would see that people are often more aware of um but the, by, mm-hmm. but I, I i tend to believe that you know identifying the contexts in which this behavior happens yeah. and then we'll start with that so if the bowl is on the floor I'm not going to be doing anything, you know, even if the dog isn't there, even if the dog is farther away from it, if the bowl has food and it's available, then I'm not moving towards that in those situations. Um, Mm. You know, so I'm going to prevent the dog feeling the need to show this distance increasing behavior. Right. Um, And so, you know, so there is, we, we, we have a couple of really cool, um, kind of survey-based works, kind of retrospective survey-based works, which aren't terribly reliable, but we don't have a whole lot on on, on these individual behaviours in dogs, uh, in, in dog behaviour. So, you know, but it, they, they certainly revealed some things, you know, including, you know, kind of messing with the dog's food um, when they were younger, particularly, mm. may lead to the dog being more likely to show resource guarding behaviour later. And certainly that makes sense, mm. right? So if a dog feels, so if we, if we think that this behaviour is about the dog getting space so getting a threat to possession to move away mm-hmm. and for them to be able to control prior you know access to you know food life-saving life-sustaining stuff you know and um, whatever mm-hmm. the dog is deeming important in that context it makes sense then if they feel that you know all their growling or stiffening or anything like that doesn't achieve that distance yeah. well then that would make sense that for, for some dogs we, we we will see an escalation in behavior oh, yeah. there so our behavior basically will contribute to, to to the development of that behavior. And, you know, um, while that might sound not great, that's actually, there's quite a, an impairing element well, to that. Yeah, that yeah, means yeah. that we can change our behavior to, to, to kind of improve the situation. Mm. So, you know, I like to go, well, no, that's great. We know about this now. We yeah. know that if we just maintain that proximity, um, well, then we can prevent that behavior from happening. Mm. And just to clarify, that's not all we do, right? <laughs> but it's an important part of this. Yeah. We do other things to help everybody live together safely, but... Um, and to reduce that dog's stress and reduce the person's stress. Um, But um, certainly we have to start with that. We have to start with not giving the dog any reason to feel that they need to guard from humans. And what I say is, what I always say, and particularly with puppies, is I'll always say uh, humans only add, they never subtract. So what that means is, is that we, if our dog has something, I'm going to be throwing chicken at them. If I walk by, I'm going to add something yummy to their bowl. I'm going to add, I'm never taking stuff off, certainly at those early stages. So I kind of, I don't like this trading yeah. <laughs> kind of idea that you see a lot of people like you take the thing away give the dog something else and give the dog something back and i'm like but you've just done the really salient thing you've taken the thing away it doesn't really matter what happens after that uh particularly in dogs that might be you know have some sort of predisposition to developing mm. gardening I, I feel i don't like that and also then it, it starts to do that same thing that interfering with the dog's food bowl does it causes us to get into the dog's space regardless of what they're saying yeah. 
And because we've got an item from them, we feel that this is some sort of a win. We've achieved something by doing yeah. that. When actually, we're actually, we may Yikes. just be storing up the dog is going, oh, here they come. Oh. Every time a person is close to me and I have my thing, I lose it, yeah. right? Which is what the dog learns. Mm. That's the outcome for them. Even if something happens after that, um, that I, I tend to, as a blanket advice, I tend to say no trading mm. because it, it, you know, it can just go wrong really, really fast. Yeah. And I prefer to add stuff before I'm ever subtracting stuff. So humans only add, they never subtract yeah. is really, you know, what I would like to teach the world, have the world do. <laughs> but particularly with puppies, because we can change their entire, you know, outlook on this. We can uh, affect change toward their entire outlook to, 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 to proximity with people. So when people are nearby, I keep my thing and get other good things. So I love when people are nearby, when I have my stuff, when I have my bone or I have my bowl or a toy or whatever, because it only makes good things happen. Plus I get to keep my thing, yeah. which is the, the entire function of the setup initially, you know, that they have the thing. So, so I would, I would say that, you know, we have to be careful in making sure that we're not interfering with the dog and that you know when they're eating when they have possessions and that includes trading yeah yeah i would say it's the big the big thing there <laughs> you're gonna like this one and is it more uh-huh. likely to happen with certain breeds or types of dogs well you know again we don't have a ton of evidence for this but anecdotally i'm going to say and it kind of, kind of makes sense a little bit when we select individuals for um or or types of dogs for a lot of oral behaviors mm-hmm. um it makes sense that this would be a dog that wants to hold on to stuff mm-hmm. that wants to access stuff mm-hmm. that wants to have stuff that wants to make sure that they can access possessions and i see this in both kind of a type level so if we talk about like gun dogs maybe yep. right but i also see this in a lot of individuals um you know where like uh with my dog um who could be a quite a guardy dog if wasn't if it wasn't managed mm-hmm. right or hadn't been managed earlier on but all of the photographs of him almost all the photographs i have of him before i've got him in his first you know few months of life before he came to me he had something in his mouth <laughs> whether it was a toy whether it was food whether it was a leaf whether it was yeah. you know whatever it didn't have to be actual food but it was just always something in his mouth yeah. and he would definitely have that tendency and it's just that he's never been in a situation where it had to happen and he has an excellent release like you can get food out of his mouth he'll give you back food out of his mouth you can uh, ask him for stuff you can, you know there's all you know it's absolutely backed up but but me seeing that made me go right so this is a flag i'll just raise about this fella yeah. in relation to you know that having stuff and absolutely him particularly novel items uh, so not so much food because i did a ton of work on that early on mm. uh, but more so novel items like toys and things like that anything that he'd get quite excited about because he would still even 11 get quite excited about i would always be very clear about making sure that he understands i'm no you know threat to your possession of this sort of thing you know and i can ask you for it if we really need to but really we don't need to and if you're on your bed nobody goes near you and i would do i'd be like that with all dogs i'd be quite respectful like yeah, that you yeah. know i'd say no, this is your spot where if you take a thing there that's okay yeah. you can have that thing there i'm not going to harass you for oh. it or anything like that it's your little safe spot and we have tons of cues for like playing keep away games or i'm yeah. going to get you games you know so tons of really clear signaling relations that so he's never had to 
do this sort of thing or he's never felt the need to have to do this, you know, to actually, you know, move seriously forward in relation to this. But, you know, and, um, but it would, I would certainly link that with him being an incredibly, everything is about picking things up and carrying things. And he would still be like that. Any level of arousal or not even any, just because that's what he does. He will carry things and have things and he has things around him and he chews stuff and he, you know, all his things, thankfully, um, and all of those things. But he would be yes, incredibly one hell inclined. Of a to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing survives. <laughs> nothing is safe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no. So he, he would definitely be a dog where there's an inclination there mm. uh, towards that and towards having things and having access to things, particularly novel items or toys, certain well any toy or things he uses toys um and things like that but like i say completely safe and Mm. not an issue because it's just never been allowed to develop into that but i would certainly most of the guarding cases are kind of proximity related cases that i see are retriever and Mm -hmm. spaniel type dogs and their mixes i would say so the doodles and all of those as well um you know and again they're very popular pets so you would imagine that because of that they're more likely Mm. to be in situations where people are going to be you know in close proximity to them Mm. and things like that so you know so there's there's that as well but it matches with what we know in terms of what we've been selecting for you know for for forever makes sense so since their existence so we can't suddenly turn around and say to them well now you just have to give all of that up and be a human dog now you know like so it's not really fair to say that and also to recognize that if we've been breeding these dogs for working traits you know it wouldn't make sense that you couldn't get a retrieved bird off a dog right that wouldn't make sense um so individuals that didn't show great tendencies in that sort of way would maybe not be used for working and would make it into more pet lines and make it more into kind of pet life Mm -hmm. which means that we're essentially going to accentuate those kind of traits in those populations and pet populations where we might not have dogs that would have you know kind of succeeded as as well as 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 in in the working context so that may be why we see it though i do see it in a lot of working types of these dogs as well so it's not just uh the the pet type dogs right Mm. um so it, it kind of is equally spread you know across those dogs certainly in my caseload and again this is very much anecdotal Mm. um and i don't want people to think oh my god i have a cocker spaniel now we're in trouble (laughs) kind of thing but also Mm. at the same time i would say well you know these are tendencies that we associate with this type of dog so what can we do to prevent them ever becoming a problem yeah and then it's nicole you know like in in decker's case obviously he had you to to pick up on that so early and go hey you know what this 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 might develop so let's you know help them so that 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 and make sure that it doesn't and i think if everybody presumes um no matter what the breed is i suppose but particularly yeah, if you have exactly. that if, if you presume okay this dog might do this um so yeah. let's set them up so that they, they never actually ever have to develop it um exactly yeah so that's why we're you know talking about it yeah yeah, and if we say that it's normal natural necessary dog behavior well we should be doing some level of management and some Mm -hmm. level of you know effortful prevention of this you know because it's not that we we can stop resource guarding because like i said we do it as well but it's that we can stop you know we can maintain it at a level that is safe that is easily manageable for the normal people in contact with the dog right um and particularly if there's going to be children present in that house just because they're kind of you know going to be a little bit less predictable um you know that we need to have some normal level of management in place and if we require more than that well then we we need to to get help yeah right so if there's you know or if the dog's behavior is very demanding 
demonstrative. You know, there's a lot of growling, there's a lot of snarling, there's a lot of snarking and and barking, and 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 maybe there's been bites or snaps. Um, mm. you know, and or where it's more generalized and harder to predict. Those are kind of ones that we'd be urgently seeking some help for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you spoke a little bit. Uh, earlier about kind of how to prevent it from happening in the first place so if it's already developed like you say and usually it's people are only coming to you probably when they're growling and have already snapped or or maybe so how can owners manage it better than at that stage to help change their pup's mind and help them feel maybe more secure about their valuable things yeah i mean i don't think that there's that much of a difference between preventing it and um and and working on it there's a lot of overlap there Mm -hmm. and we do a lot of the same things the first thing we need to know is what's the dog's comfort level so what is the proximity at which they're going to start showing discomfort and the show and i say that if the dog it shows awareness of your presence so they might look towards you they might you might just see their eyes move towards you they might even wiggle their bum or wag you know while they're eating or chewing or whatever and i say well that's the point at which we're not going to go any further once they know that you're there um once they know that you're moving and i would say that that's the same we might have if we have a dog that's already showing uh you know kind of forward moving behavior you know that's we might have extra management in places Mm -hmm. and he might be behind a baby gate or you know you know kind of maybe there might be some sort of safety barrier Mm -hmm. between us all just so that there's you know mistakes aren't going to be as catastrophic but um but in general, I'm going to be saying, well, that's a level of awareness. And then if if that's uh, if that's what's going on, I'm not going to go after my dog in those situations and I'm not going to go harassing them. I'm not going to take take stuff off them. And the same thing, I'm going to from that point of comfort, I'm going to be tossing stuff towards that dog. Um, you know, I'm going to be stop tossing more food or adding more chicken mm-hmm. because what I want to get to a point is I want to get the point to the point where the dog has their thing and they learn, oh, when I have this thing and that human approaches, I'm going to drop my thing because that human throws something amazing. Mm. So I want to get to a point where the dog is going, oh, here she is now. Her her presence is a signal telling me mm. that I'm about to get lovely stuff. Yeah. And once I get to that point where the dog has chosen to drop the item because I've made something way better available, um, when we get to that point, then we can start to teach that dog you know, the behaviors that we need them to do to keep everybody safe, Mm -hmm. you know, so for example, asking them to drop an item, we could put that on cue, asking them to move to another spot. So if you needed to get something back off them, Mm -hmm. you could do those things. And then we kind of go about really not ever harassing the dog in those situations, um, you know, uh, as as much as we possibly can. And one thing I will say is about kind of the dog so-called stealing stuff. Mm. So dog taking stuff we don't want them to take. One of the things that tends to happen is, is like a dog takes a tea towel or something yeah. like that. You know, it, it's, you know, nobody's <laughs> going to die here. It's a detail. Or they might even swipe food off the counter or we might be worried about the item. Maybe it's an item we're worried about. Maybe the dog has mm. picked up medication or picked up, you know, bone. You know, small pieces of material like that they that. could swallow and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like dogs are idiots when it comes to any of their personal safety. So they will absolutely attempt to ingest all sorts of things that could, you know, totally kill them. Um, <laughs> uh, they will totally do that. Uh, for, you know, just a huge vet bill yeah, um, always yeah. uh, and much distress for everybody. Yeah. Um, but they do it again. You know, they'll do it yeah, again. Tomorrow. And one of the things that tends to happen is if the dog takes the thing, everybody makes it about the item all of a yeah, sudden. It makes it extra special. 
yeah this is the, the dog's like oh my god maybe yeah. it is really cool Jack maybe i here. should guard it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i really do want this, this actually magic. And, yeah yeah and also you know it's a really easy way of them getting all of the attention onto them and er- yeah. you know it all it's just it's this amazing thing so what i say to people is we'll start to get into a routine now of um not even when the dog has something but just moving away from them quickly and going and create creating yeah. a diversion so we don't make it about the item at all mm. it's not about the item i don't care oh yeah details whatever uh, I don't actually care about it. It's not special. It's not worth your while guarding, actually. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I'll run over here and I'll start to rustle stuff or I'll start to open, like just create a kind of a an imaginary, you know, situation that the dog might be interested yes. in. And most dogs will be like, oh my God, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, you know, they but, always yeah. do. It's like I saw your post yeah. there on the what's this, uh, what's what's this, uh, what's that kind of game. And it's brilliant because the, the dogs instantly are like, what are you doing over there? There must be something yeah, special. That's amazing. Yeah. Must be something yeah. cool. And we're such social <laughs> models for them. Yeah. And, and guides for them in their world you know so the thing is is that sometimes though we'll have been to a point where the dog is like oh no i know this is a ruse now to get this thing back right so they (laughs) they've learned through lots of experience and and playing keep away games with their humans you know they've been logging all of these responses and they're going ah i know exactly how i can keep all of this you know to my advantage you know this is absolutely working for me um and uh, and so we often sometimes have to put some other things in place to to try and kind of uh, get that one but the the most important central point of this is just to not make it right the item yeah who cares i don't want it <laughs> and it's hard you know we so. have with the, yeah no it is hard with yeah. the volunteers yeah, all hard, the time with pups. yeah yeah and yeah. they like instantly the pu- it could be a pebble oh, yeah. in the garden or something and they're oh, like oh yeah. jesus no he'll swallow it and then they're yeah. like wow these pebbles are magic and, and there's a yeah. whole garden full of them <laughs> yeah and if i swallow it nobody can yeah, have it yeah, yeah, i mean that's yeah, the ultimate yeah. way of me keeping hold of this and that's something i would actually say with puppies mm. is that do not start off like that yeah taking everything out of their mouth grabbing everything you know being really you know micromanaging it because absolutely i would say that that's a good way of like you say making all of the stuff magic and really worth ingesting yeah you know it's a really good way of doing that so i think it's harder for our guys because they're so nervous that it's not their puppy it's our puppy and yeah they're minding them so there's that extra level of oh jesus how can i ring and tell him he's in the vets again um yeah you know but like we're uh, like actively saying no try not to react like that but it's it's it it makes it harder for sure but yeah like definitely um it's you can can see it with with the 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 super super smart puppies they have their um people running running around after them all day every day yeah and they're thinking this is the most fun house ever thanks for putting me here absolutely and you know what that's not a bad thing so i never like when we say these sorts of things i'm always really quick to kind of um kind of say and specify this isn't about your your puppy or your dog kind of manipulating you no. or doing anything that's any sort in any sort of way conniving no. or anything <laughs> like that we're talking about animals that are you know they are way better human trainers than we are dog trainers and they're so much better at spotting sequences so like chains of behaviors way before we do and um they're doing that because um you know this is how they survive in the human world but also i really like when there's a pattern patterns have been established even if the pet owner is like oh wait this is actually the (laughs) the problem pattern but 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 what that why that's been working really well for that dog and has probably been supporting them a whole lot is that it's super predictable Mm. so the dog goes i know what's about to happen and not only is it predictable it's controllable i know what's about to happen and i have behaviors within my repertoire that allow me to work this out right and allow me to 
deal with this situation. So then what we have to do is we have to just work out, well, how can we make it predictable and controllable so it's not the problem scenarios, yeah. you know, so-called problem scenario, um, you know, but that you've already done that and that your puppy's already worked that out. That's actually great because now we just need to refine it and yeah. everybody's on the right track. Everybody's happy then, <laughs> you know, everybody's predictable and controllable, yeah. you know, so it works for both ends then yeah. at that point, you know. So, <laughs> but yeah, there are definitely some puppies who I fear are smarter than their humans. Yeah, that's actually the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Including mine. I will just yeah. say including mine. Yeah. We definitely don't give <laughs> definitely. them enough credit for sure, no. you know. No. Um, no. But yeah, and some of them just have that little glint in their eye and you think, oh, yes. Yeah. 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 you're going to be trouble. I see you working it yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah it. absolutely. I love that. They're, and yes. the, yeah, they're, they're nearly always the superstars like long term, you know, they're just, there yeah, you go. so. Exactly. But, yeah. Um, yeah, we have to harness, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly, to harness the power. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're hard going, they're hard going for oh, the poor yeah, old volunteers. Yeah. yeah. But, um, oh, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> um, okay, so that's, that's a lot on, on resource guiding and some really, really mm-hmm. cool um helpful tips on how to to manage it and most importantly prevent it in the first place and then we were talking a bit earlier on maybe going into a little bit of um handling comfort and you know dogs that that have that already uh, established um and i will i was wondering myself do like you know is it the case that certain breeds of dogs have more of an issue with the likes of of uh, not being comfortable around handling and you know, you hear things like body sensitivity and, and, and things like that. I don't know. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I tend to group these things together yeah. because particularly when we're talking about puppy stuff, mm-hmm. I'm doing a ton of stuff about puppy and proximity. Mm-hmm. So how close we are to puppy, if we're touching puppy, you know, I do a lot of like, there's a full, a whole thing about, you know, not doing not too much handling and making sure puppy can come and move away as they yeah. feel. And that's really difficult for puppies because they're kind of conflicted in a lot of social situations. And that's to be expected. They're babies, yeah. so they don't have social skills. Mm-hmm. They don't actually know what they're supposed to be doing. So of course that's they're yeah. conflicted. No. Um, you know like they haven't matured that yet that makes sense well, the uh, they don't, yeah. well yeah adults adult humans yeah. indeed yeah. <laughs> well mature human <laughs> adults yes absolutely. Uh, i would agree there so i tend to group them together because that's how we approach it in terms of proximity with young dogs mm. um but um but certainly um we might be ten- tend to see certain types of dogs that are that we would say okay those are dogs that you know have difficulty with handling and i'm sure if you talk to the likes of you know or vns or groomers they would absolutely be able to say oh my god westies on their feet or (laughs) you know (laughs) that's that's when i commonly hear that like westies don't like having their feet touched Mm. but i would say that a lot of dogs would be relatively worried about having their extremities touched or handled particularly by a stranger or if they're already painful or they feel something's going to be done most people yeah touch or handle well i mean really like if i was out in the world and a stranger started to try and touch my feet i'd probably bite as well i feel i think that would probably (laughs) be there'd be grounds for biting there oh my god Um, hilarious Um, so you know so uh, the other thing that we have to talk about is comfort what does that look like so the majority of dogs are very tolerant of people Mm. and the way we go on about our, our so forgiving of us. We, yeah. Yes, we're primates and we do a lot of touching and gripping and hugging. Mm. And that's all of our tools were made that look at our like, big long arms, look at our fingers. Yeah. All of that has evolved for touching and gripping and, and hugging and things like that. And they've all become specialized as part of our kind of social mm. repertoires. And then dogs don't really have all no. of those tools. 
right? So they don't have these big, long, gripping, hugging arms. They don't have, you know, these very dexterous fingers. They don't have opposable thumbs. So that's not really their, you know, that's not really the way they've gone, that, that, that what they've evolved. But, you know, what's tended to happen is, is that we've tended to, you know, kind of be more tolerant of dogs that are tolerant of our handling them, even though, a lot of the time those dogs aren't terribly comfortable. So, you know, so I suppose we have to learn, well, what's tolerance and what is actual comfort and, and maybe even joy enjoyment of this mm. process? So some dogs appear to certainly, some individuals appear to be way more sensitive about um, having certain areas of their body touched in certain contexts because all behavior is contextual. So people will say, oh, you know, when he's lying on the sofa, he's on my lap, I'm touching his feet all the time and he's totally fine. But if I take out a nail clippers and try to touch his feet, he's... <laughs> You know, he's, he's gone. <laughs> That's the end of that. Yeah. Or somebody else, you know, the groomer is, is trying to brush his feet or, um, uh, you know, wash his feet or clip his nails or whatever. And it's, you know, it's game over. Yeah. We're not, it's not happening. Um, and so behavior is always contextual. So we start to go, well, are there contexts in which the dog is, is showing the sensitivity? And, you know, one of the things that we, we need to be aware of is, is, again, it's normal for animals to not want strangers to touch sensitive parts of their body if your dog is painful or not feeling well or not feeling terribly secure and and uh and comfortable in the environment Mm. well then it would be quite normal for them to be extra sensitive about those things so we have to start going well is this within context or is this some wider concern Mm. and i suppose if it's something like nail clipping or if you have a long-haired dog and you have to be able to brush them and you know to maintain their coat or clip them or whatever it is that has to be done or if it's a medical procedure that has to be done with some regularity um well then it's probably a good idea that we say well let's start to see if we can give this dog some skills so that they can cope with this thing because it's going to be something that they're going to have to deal with throughout their lives and if it's causing this much stress for everybody it's you know we need to be doing something proactive about it Mm. um but you know i would certainly say that the first thing that we want to know about this dog is is what are the reasons for them showing the sensitivity Mm. uh what what you know are we dealing with some sort of um odd pain thing and i would say that we are particularly bad at um identifying chronic pain in dogs and you know that pain could be historic so Mm. this dog may really not want anybody touching their ears for example because you know they've had an ear infection Mm. previously or their ears got matted the last time and it was really sore and painful and tender and inflamed and all of these sorts of things so and and you know and then somebody had to go and like try and clip that Mm. or whatever which was further discomfort and and all those sorts of things so you know so i would say we can't discount that. And for, you know, a negative experience like that can absolutely can just be one thing, one occurrence that, you know, was particularly meaningful to that individual. It might not seem like a big deal to us, but it can be particularly meaningful to that one individual. Um, And that can lead to longer term, you know, kind of discomfort with it. And also think about the context. It might not be that the dog doesn't like having their ears brushed or their feet handled or their nails or whatever. It may just be that in this context, I can't escape or yeah. I've been taken away from my owner mm. or I'm being handled in a way that makes me feel worried about what's to come mm. or, you know, those sorts of things. So the context itself can become distressing, whereas, you know, it might not actually be the actual procedure, but everything else that's come before or is happening at the same time mm. or, you know, those sorts of things. So what are the dog's expectations of that sort of stuff? Mm. So, um, you know, I would say that certainly in dogs like my breed and in, in Amstaff's, they we really haven't selected for them to have any sort of a personal space bubble. Like that's not really... Mm. 
would not be known as their thing. So every, you know, social pressure, you know, leaning into their space and stuff like that. Most of those dogs will tend not to be super sensitive about Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, my bruises would tell me that that's the (laughs) case, you know, that they tend to be pretty full on about every, uh, I tend to say that every interaction is like a full contact sport, basically, (laughs) you know, but then you might have other dogs who have a much bigger bubble and, you know, who we didn't, you know, kind of go so so much you know with selecting for them to not have that that we want them to be a little bit more you know a little bit kind of more cautious or mm. or you know a little bit a little bit safer um so you know and so there we would go well maybe those dogs might be a little bit more inclined to um to, to be uncomfortable with those things you know so there can absolutely be um, you know, uh, genetic elements to everything mm. and then environmental and behavioral elements to everything. You know, that's that's how behavior works, really, mm. um, that, you know, you put these genetics into that and those environmental conditions and, and we have this perfect storm of whatever we're, mm. we're going to see uh, and then all the combinations within. Yeah. So it's all th- those things are always related. But again, I would say, you know, there are certain dogs that are going to require more handling, more contact, more um, kind of pressure in relation to this as adults. So dogs that have, you know, coat that's going to need to be managed. You know, we think about all the, the popularity of all these curly coated dogs. You oh, know, that's yeah. curly coats are the most high maintenance of all of the, you know, anything that doesn't molt a whole lot away from the skin stays in the coat mm. right um those dogs are going to be some of the most high maintenance of coats mm. in the pet world mm. because we have to brush them yeah. because their coat isn't just falling out and staying in there mm. and getting matted um and uh, and i know not all of these dogs have to be clipped but a lot of them yeah. do uh you know or, or, and require huge amounts of brushing and all of those sorts of things so it's probably easier i guess to keep them a bit shorter yeah. um and more manageable so i mean if we know that is coming and we know that's coming when we get a doodle or or a you know a poodle or a, any of the any of the curly coats yeah. you know or any of these dogs um we know that when we get them that's where this is going so we need to start that really really early on and uh, and start preparing those dogs re- like from the get go about um you know comfort with handling and real comfort with handling not just kind of masking it and, and but really building that real comfort with handling so so i i say that i don't want mere tolerance i want the dog to enjoy those interactions you know mm. um and I, I you know and okay that's not always possible and there's so many degrees of husbandry work that we do but mm. but like you know that's certainly the goal and with puppies that should be the goal yeah, yeah. that we do really yeah. short like we might get two strokes of the brush and one of the notes that people will often say oh when i'm brushing he's biting the brush and i'm like <laughs> right well that's his way of showing discomfort yeah. he's literally you know he's not biting you no. <laughs> right he's he's you know doing his best to say will this just stop yeah and you know using and i'll often go in and puppy owners will have massive big brushes or like those slicker brushes that are really for adult coat a puppy coat is so fine and you're going well it's probably not terribly comfortable for them as well you know there is that also but it's starting to build in this idea that the dog can move away should they want to move away so they never learn the need to stiffen and growl or bite or mouth at the brush or whatever um that that we're that we're kind of teaching them gradually to build their tolerance for this and lots of dogs of course will enjoy it as well i was visiting with a dog this week who has a scratchy spot 
spot and, and we've used that then to um, to kind of build tolerance of grooming because we start in that spot every time and we've just expa- we're just expanding um, oh, yeah, over cool. her her body, you yeah. know, and she's loving it. She's going, no, please scratch me more, like do more of this. That's fantastic. Keep doing that. And it's a really cool way of, of reinforcing um, this idea that, you know, we hang around for, for, for brushing because it's actually a really cool way of doing it. So, you know, so that's that that can also work that way as well. But the, the goal really is, is we do want the dog to be able to tolerate it um, and understand that they can move away from it if they need to yeah. and move away, you know, and that's that's probably the key to, to this, you know, but that's a low bar, isn't it? You can escape something that you find distressing. Yeah. You know, we, we probably should be trying to raise our game a little bit. With that one. Yeah, it's like, and I see, and it's obviously challenging for the vets and the vet nurses and stuff as mm-hmm, well, but like often even a small dog, the first thing that happens, they go into the room, they're put up on this uh, the little yeah. table and they have like this really uh-huh. tiny little space and then they definitely they're up in the air they can't go anywhere um yeah. uh on top of it being already a, a really st- stressful place with the smell sound sights yeah. everything that's going on and and you wonder yeah. why there's such a high incidence of uh you know yeah kick back from the dogs when when they're in those situations you know um and you're right we do think that it's related to their first visit yeah so their first visit during their really formative months Mm. of their life their first vet vet visit is to go and have a scary needle stuck in them sometimes it's to even have their microchips yeah yeah and that's such a big needle you know relative to like you know the other needles nowadays they're so fine and tiny like that you barely know they're gone in Mm. um they're so small they're they're not the best at telling you what they're not comfortable either yeah Yeah. and also they don't know what's going on they're totally terrified and like you say the environment itself is scary Mm. um so you know we can def there's definitely ways that we could turn that around and we could prioritize puppies you know so that you could build those structures within the, 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 you know the practice of the organization mm. and uh, and then you would be building those are your future clients so they're coming up um through you know with a a kind of a better attitude to a more comfortable attitude to those sorts of handling mm. um and i posted about it recently that we had an ivba conference i'll just plug it mm. um there recently we had gary landsberg dr gary landsberg over from canada mm. and he would be really a, a kind of a leader in clinical behavior he's one of the you know people who've kind of structured this entire field mm. um and he was over talking to us because he's involved with the fear free uh, program cool. um and really his emphasis was you know what it's food from the beginning right the way through mm. and it wasn't even that the priority was about teaching the dog any skills mm. to deal with what was going on but it was more so using food as a kind of a redirection that the dog didn't even know what was going on yeah. so this puppy would be just lapping at something amazing they would have had food scatters to get them in the door so they didn't even realize they were walking in the door and then there would have been a breadcrumb trail yeah, over the weighing scales that. and they didn't even realize they were getting <laughs> up on the weighing scales and then there was just like so the, there was pate smeared on the table and the puppy is just licking that while you know he's been examined and his vaccination has been delivered or whatever was going on and puppy didn't even notice that and if puppy does notice it we stop yeah yeah and we we let you know we we up our game right so we add more pate or we we, you know or we use some other sort of form of redirection and then there's a scatter of food that they snuffle to go out the door so none of this really they just turned up and ate yeah (laughs) and stuff went on around there again yeah 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 he's like oh i'm going there every day because this is awesome um and it was like that it was just a non-event that i came here i ate some cool food and I went home again, oh, cool. um, and uh, and and that was really the the uh, the big thing that I learned. That, and it's not that 
we weren't doing those mm. things. It was actually the emphasis was on that. And I was going, oh, right, well, that's where the, the emphasis needs to be. Why would we be asking puppies and their pet owners to be developing huge amounts of skill in order to do all of this stuff mm. um, in a much more complex way? And we can still do that. Mm. But actually, when you've just got your new puppy and they're just getting vaccinated, you don't have time to have all of that established. Mm. So we want it to be, you know, just a breeze of the puppy just having a wonderful time no social pressure not a whole lot so like the temptation is for a lot of hugging and things like that mm. which i don't feel is is probably uh great for for this situation mm. or helping us um and uh, so just they just go in and it's just all happening around them and they don't even realize it's happening and that's that's my new my new emphasis for this now <laughs> thanks to to dr lansberg for the vets yeah. and, and the, the vet nurses as well like to do that mm-hmm. approach i know it's it'd be wildly different to what is practiced in a lot of vets at the moment or whatever mm-hmm. but it'd be worth the the try because as you said it's like it's it's a long-term gain for them too yeah. is the dog yeah. or whatever animal maybe is coming back in yeah. again and again sure. and again and are comfortable in yeah. there um the the pet owner is comfortable in there and uh, and right. everyone's energy is just totally different i think it's yeah. it's so hard especially in the last few years it's probably harder for the vets well it definitely is i, I suppose because it was like a lot more pets bought um mm-hmm. yeah and i do notice that even in the vet practices that i would you know really like um uh, yeah. they're having less time for the consoles and yeah. there's more of a queue and it's sure. in it's in and out in and out in and out and uh, I, I know by them they'd rather not be doing it this way oh, but yeah. they they, they, they no see choice. that there's no real choice well, there's always a choice yeah. but like there's obviously pressure oh, yeah. you know to, yeah. to 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 get the the business in too which is which i understand yeah they have to eat yeah. <laughs> so but it, how cool yeah how cool would it be um to even trial it and, and have that approach because it, it, it is a, it's the long-term gain for everybody and so yeah. much yeah. nicer for everybody as well it'd be just such oh, a yeah. nice environment to be to be yeah, in for absolutely. everybody yeah and we and we do have evidence for this i mean we talk a lot about like you know uh, vets will and and orvians will will note that a puppy coming returning to them after you know vac- their first series mm. of vaccines or their puppy vaccines are coming back for neuter for yeah, example yeah. Uh, or for their booster and they're noticing a distinct change in that dog's um you know attitude to what's going on they're much more fearful they're much more hesitant yeah. they may be showing aggressive type responding uh, those sorts of things and it's kind of like you know where is my puppy gone you yeah. know kind of thing and of course it's it's not because you necessarily did anything outlandishly cruel or anything to that puppy because of course nobody wants to do that but it's just that that you know that this was you know a very impactful experience for them that we possibly didn't take to be as impactful as it actually was shut down as well they could have been yeah yeah yeah. and also like you say like you mentioned that puppies aren't great at telling us no very obviously when they're uncomfortable or when something is overwhelming for them because they're mature you know their communication systems aren't mature Mm. so you know so so you know, I think that's a really valuable thing to do. And we do have data that tells us that if we if uh, we we have less stress for pets, that means we have less stress for owners and of owners course. are more likely to bring their dogs yeah. to the vet and their cats to the vet, or their, their pets, presumably of other species as well. And also that it's a safer working environment for um, the staff there and therefore it's a better working environment. So like everybody can win if we do this. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, it is. It's everybody a win for everybody. Win. Come yeah. on, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so, so certainly that's something that, you know, uh, we is very doable. But we just need to have a program in place to actually implement it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's absolutely doable uh, with some, you know, guidance and, and uh, motivation, time. I think. is Yeah, time. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course, a little bit of time. Uh, but actually in the long term probably saves us time, probably allows us to invest that back into into other things then as well. So it's probably going to work out overall. Um so yeah, so super important for puppies and early visits and things like that. Just make it all about the puppy showing up and eating and various things happening around them that the puppy doesn't really get to register. Yeah. So and I, I find um um personally anyway when you're speaking to vets if they're not that way inclined maybe you know using food and stuff like that if you speak to them beforehand um it might help that we're behind it you know we, we might say to the puppy raiser just make sure that the you know the, the, you know when you're going in that you ask that this this is the way it happens and a lot of vets are like oh yeah cool they, they, they'll go along mm-hmm. with it and some are, are not so much obviously you know but try and find the vet that is happy to go along mm-hmm. Sure. as well and um it'll make life easier for everybody um that way for yeah. sure um but it, i think it's in a way it's more difficult because of the time restraints but uh, i mm-hmm. i find with certain vets and i know we've probably chosen certain ones for our program as well that we're you know happy to work with as well but they're, mm-hmm. they're usually yeah, always yeah. if you go to them and say listen this dog is uncomfortable with this and this and this they're interested and happy to to, to work with you oh, of course. Uh, on it you know of so course. it's worthwhile asking for sure yeah and the thing is is that really we want to get to a point where this isn't some special circumstance yeah. for a, a, an extra sensitive dog we could actually reduce the number of sensitive yeah. dogs by having this as just this is <laughs> this the norm, is the norm yeah. and it's you know it's a tool and it's not applicable in every context they're going to be you know there's lots of caveats to all of this stuff but at the same time we need to do it more we're not doing it enough right now um you know i mean i don't think i've ever seen i'm out of vets all the time i don't think i've ever seen a pet owner walk in under their own steam with food or staff members without there being some special circumstance in place like you de- you describe mm. With, with you know actually put implementing this mm. and so i think then that we need to make it the norm this yeah. is what happens we have a, a scatter to go in the door we have a breadcrumb trail on the weighing scales we have licking and lapping and chewing and uh, uh, redirection uh, for procedures and then we have a scatter to go out and that's it <laughs> i i came here i ate and then i went yeah out. what the hell has <laughs> happened there that was awesome yeah, yeah. That was great. Yeah. Let's do it every day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. yeah. And we and do. You know, I'll, I'll have puppy raisers that'll say to me, "Oh God," because they it'll be part of their walking route that it'll, they'll be going by the vet or something, and that oh, their puppy yeah. will be like, "Oh, let's go in." Um, yeah, you, you know. So that's a, that's that's obviously a good sign. You yeah, know, usually good sign. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's bet it's not as good if they're avoiding it no. or if they're walking by it really fast no, or trying to get away no, from it. God, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't um, want that so much. Yeah, so that's in vets and, and groomers. So is there anything then that people can be doing? Uh, obviously, you know, it's 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 better to get in uh, in touch with the likes of yourself and and have a little program going from the beginning with as with everything. But is there anything that people yeah. can be doing now for people listening that they have new puppies and stuff? Is there anything that they can be doing regularly that can Cool things to do is actually to practice that. Go to the vets when you're not getting anything or going to the groomer when they don't need anything done. So going in, a food scatter in, Mm -hmm. breadcrumb trail of like, and I mean really high value treats, right? It's not their normal diet. It's not every day. This is literally a treat. Literally by definition, it's a treat. Um, And it's something unusual and makes this place extra special. Mm -hmm. They go in, they have a breadcrumb trail onto the 
the weighing scales or even using a tug toy onto the weighing scales that often works with puppies like that you kind of trail it across like it's a prey item or something like that <laughs> um and then they go in and they have something yummy uh in there and then we do exactly the reverse coming out and that's it that's all that happens so you know so doing that is really really helpful um we we do a lot of with puppies we do a lot of touch for treat exercises yeah. so i touch and then a treat touch and then a treat touch and a treat so the puppy learns that somebody touching my ears my face my tail my tummy my feet which are these sensitive more sensitive areas mm-hmm. makes a treat show up in my mouth so yeah. by all means go nuts <laughs> you know touch those bits yeah. <laughs> and make the treat happen yeah so we, we need to do a lot of that mm-hmm. and we need to particularly do it as puppy comes through adolescence because they, be, they can become a little bit more kind of you know touchy and sensitive about being handled and things like that during adolescence mm-hmm. so we want to keep practicing. And the best thing that I would say to you to do is to be mindful of the dog's comfort. So we're never pushing them beyond where they're yeah. comfortable. So they're always able to say with the least amount of effort in the quietest possible way, I'd like that to stop. Mm-hmm. And if that means that, you know, okay, so if feet are our issue and we only get to touch their back, which is the further yeah. furthest point <laughs> yeah, away from yeah, their feet, yeah. if we get to touch that for 1.2 seconds on the first day, and that's as far as we're able to go and we make that wonderful, well, we will build to, you know, over this, the, the, the other days, we will be able to build uh, the amount of time we spend handling them, touching them, mm. and um, how close we can get to those areas. And I suppose the highest level then of, of husbandry uh, training in terms of, you know, the, the highest level of skill and, and uh, complexity that we get to is actually teaching the dog behaviours so that they can opt in and opt mm. out and also be a presumably somewhat willing participant in their own care. So they move their body in such a way that allows procedures to happen, mm. for example. They hold position in a certain way to allow procedures for happen to, to happen, for example. Um, and those would be the ways that we would we would go about that, mm. uh, doing that. And like I say, that's the most complex level. And whether every pet owner is going to want to do that, you know, is, is probably not the case. Mm. But um, but certainly that's something that can be done as yeah. well if we if we have to go that way. Yeah. And muzzle train your puppy. Right. Yeah. Muzzle train all dogs, mm. right? So I think that all dogs should be muzzle trained because if there's an emergency and we need to use a muzzle, I don't want that to be the thing that's causing my dog yeah, stress. That's true. There's enough stress going on. So we want all dogs to be happy wearing muzzles. Good dogs wear muzzles too. And it's very, it's you know, it's a relatively straightforward thing to do to teach dogs, particularly novel dogs yeah, who like haven't puppies. had, yeah. right, they haven't <laughs> had bad experiences with the muzzle where they were painful and it was just slapped on their mm. face because it had to be used and that's reasonable. But also the dog is now, well, you're never putting that back on my face because not only is it do I associate it with this painful, stressful experience, you know, where I was ill, but also I had, you know, it was just put on me and I had yeah, no way no of escaping choice. it. And mm. yeah, um, you know, so making it extra distressing. So that's, that, that would be my big tip muzzle train your puppy and do you know how you start with that you just take a paper yeah. cup or a plastic <laughs> cup or a tub and you line it with some of the yogurt tubs are a really good idea you just find the one that fits your dog's <laughs> face and they come in so many different shapes mm-hmm. and sizes now they're so yogurt is so complicated and <laughs> uh, so advanced there's so many different shapes sizes types yeah. colors yeah. all of the things uh, and all sorts of versions of it um and um um you let them you know you just get them used to sticking that really pushing their face into that that tub to to get the the last bit out of it or smear something at the bottom of it so they're really getting you know this kind of experience so even doing that much regularly and having them so comfortable putting their head into it putting their faces into something and feeling the pressure of that thing and on their nose and on their face and things like that that goes a long way to helping with muzzle comfort uh, as they age so that's what i would say awesome 
would be the tips to do that for that muzzle train everything yeah, <laughs> yeah muzzle train everything even the humans yeah. <laughs> oh yeah well definitely then. yeah yeah <laughs> way uh, more urgent <laughs> muzzle train the humans we might not need to do the dogs actually yeah definitely <laughs> oh we always say it yeah it's very rarely the dogs uh, <laughs> yeah but um okay cool well that was like super helpful and informative as always oh, thank glad. you very much um not at all, thank you so that um believe it or not is was was the last of the of the puppy stuff that we were going Yay. to talk about <laughs> all the puppies are like eight years old now no yeah absolutely at this <laughs> no, stage they're all <laughs> there's always puppies there's always puppies <laughs> no there's always but puppies um yeah we'll be back soon to talk about um some other fun stuff um Great. so yeah but Good to have you back. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Look after yourself. Thanks, Anne. Bye. If you enjoy the show, remember to please subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review, and recommend it to your friends and family to help us reach and help more people and their dogs. Also, please give us a follow on Twitter at BarksidePod and also on Instagram at BarksidePod help grow our online community look after yourselves and your doggies thanks again for joining us and we look forward to seeing you here again real real soon <laughs>